travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. When we travel, many of us hope to experience an exotic culture or visit a spectacular natural attraction. Often, these are chosen based on recommendations from family or friends or may have been a long-awaited bucket list destination. Little do many of us know, however, that the United Nations has already selected more than 1,000 such sites, hundreds of which are here in Asia. These World Heritage Sites are some of the most impressive destinations on Earth, and today we'll discuss some of them that you may wish to consider adding to your next Asian adventure. I'm Trevor Ranges, uh, just a couple of kilometers away from a UNESCO World Heritage Site here in Siem Reap, Cambodia. And uh, Scott, how far away is your nearest UNESCO site? It's a good question. I think it's about 90 kilometers north. Okay, and that would be Ayutthaya? I think it's Ayutthaya. Or Kauyai. Uh, Kauyai is further, but Ayutthaya is-, is here. And it's kind of funny now that like the Grand Palace and, and whatnot is in a UNESCO World Heritage Site. I wonder why that is. But yeah, I'm about 90 kilometers away. And as we say on so many of these episodes, I can't believe we've not talked about UNESCO. And you saw some list of heritage sites recently. You shared it with me and we looked at them and we went, well, we've been to quite quite a few here. And we thought, you know, let's kind of look at ones we've been to, share some of those experiences, and then pick a few that we've never been to and we'd like to go to. And, you know, I got to say, Trevor, I didn't know until this episode really what constituted a, a World Heritage Site. So can you tell us kind of what falls under this category? Well, I can tell you, according to UNESCO, um, with the full explanation uh, sure. available on their website uh, via links on our show notes, uh, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, they have declared World Heritage as the de- designation for places on Earth that are of outstanding universal value to humanity Mm -hmm. and as such have been inscribed on the world heritage list to be protected for future generations to appreciate and enjoy right so that's the definition okay it includes both cultural and natural attractions so things as diverse as the pyramids in egypt uh, the great barrier reef in australia the taj mahal and the grand canyon um so and angkor here and as you mentioned in thailand uh it's national parks as well as historical sites. Oh, that's pretty interesting. You said there's more than a thousand worldwide, and I see that there's 278 in the Asia Pacifica region, right? Which, I mean, doesn't seem like a ton, but that's pretty neat. And I see you've said that there's five World Heritage Sites that cross boundaries between nations, and also that the first World Heritage Site was the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador, which was chosen in 1978. So that gets me even more intrigued about doing this. Yeah, you know, I went when I went to the UNESCO website, uh, it's kind of cool because it's almost like, you know, like the baseball or football hall of fame or something. It's like every year, I don't know if it's every year, but it seems like they have nominations and then people, people, <laughs> sites get inducted into the, the heritage mm-hmm. list. So there's uh, nominees that have been on the list for a number of years. And uh, the, the whole thing seems very interesting that the Galapagos is the first. I like that, that it's a Very natural cool. 
attraction. It's interesting that it's a place that probably hasn't developed as much since it was put on the list because they, right. they, they mentioned that it was in order to protect these sites for future generations. And, and you know, we're going to get to some uh, on, on the list here in Asia that uh, are under threat of, of over tourism, which we've discussed on the show. But the Galapagos uh, is probably pretty spectacular still. Yeah. Yeah, it is neat. And I'm not sure what's involved in getting on the list, but I know that you have to meet certain criteria. And I think Ayutthaya, which we mentioned, was relatively recently, and there was some hurdle they had to clear about it. But yeah, this is a pretty neat list, and we've been to quite a few. And in fact, patrons who are people who sponsor this show from a few dollars a month monthly upwards to keep it going, not only get a warm, fuzzy feeling of doing so and keeping the travel talk happening, but they get a patron episode or video. And we want to give a shout out to Phaedra, who's been sponsoring the show as a patron for many years. And Phaedra and other patrons recently enjoyed a video that I made of cycling up Kauai, a mountain about two and a half hours northeast of Bangkok, which is itself a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So how well-timed is that? So if you want to see that kind of stuff, make sure you become a patron. So Trevor, when we looked at this list of Asian UNESCO World Heritage Sites, we kind of did a count, right? And where did you come out on this thing? You know, I, it's just sort of a guess. It's funny how like things like that work. But I, you know, some of these, I've been to some places that I don't know that they were necessarily World Heritage Sites, you know, like decades ago, maybe I was in parts of Sumatra, or in China, even, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a place that has so many UNESCO sites that uh, some of them could have been and some of them might not have been or in Japan and Korea right. as well. I didn't do a deep dive. And so I didn't count those. So I only counted the ones that I know for certain that I that I did visit. And I've been to 20 here in Asia. It That's was like Asia good. Pacific and Australia was on there. And I noticed that I, I've hit quite a few in Australia, but that doesn't count. So so 20 here in, in Asia. How about you? I have definitely been to 29. And there was a few I'm not so sure that I've been to like there's more in the list. I think I might have but I didn't really click through and read up fully on them. So I know that we have a lot of crossover, right? So why don't you blast through your list? And I'm going to just say when I've also been to one of those. It was alphabetical and my list is sort of alphabetical, I guess. Okay. It could be. And the first one is Cambodia. And the top of that list is Angkor. And we've been there Me together. Too. So I know you've been there as well as Sambor Prekuk. Uh, Sambor yep. Prekuk was the capital before Angkor. And we visited that together as well. And then Priya Vihir Temple is the third. And I've been there. Uh, have you been to Priya Vihir? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Okay. China had a huge list. I've been to two, uh, the Great Wall and the old town of Lijiang in Yunnan province. I've enjoyed the Great Wall. Yeah, that's it. You haven't been elsewhere in China that made the list? Not that I recognized, although I think, there, oh, there are a few more on my list. Sorry, I'll get there. In Laos, uh, which is next on my list, is the Luang Prabang and Wat Pu. Uh, we've both been to both of those, I believe. Correct. Yeah. Plain, Plain of Jars, have you done? I've not done Plain of Jars, no. That's on the list, yeah. Malaysia is Kinabalu National Park and uh, Malacca and Georgetown. Oh, I've got Malacca and Georgetown. Cool. Kinabalu, uh, I didn't go up to the top. Uh, Mount Kinabalu, Kota Kinabalu is a famous uh, uh, mountain to, to climb up because it's got this super pointy peak. But we stayed in the park at some cabins uh, at a lower level, and the trails were amazing. It was beautiful. Next is M, Myanmar. I've been to the ancient city of Bagan, which is Me too. Amazing. Awesome. Thailand, there was quite a few, and uh, I think there was two I hadn't been to that were national parks, but I've been to Ayutthaya. Sukhothai, which I, I love, is as cool as Bagan to me. Uh, uh, Ka Kang Wildlife Sanctuary. Where's that? Have I been it's to It's in Thak and Kanchanaburi areas. 
No, then I don't know. I, I must have missed that. No, but I've been to Banqiang. That's up in Chiang Rai. Yeah. That's right. And I've been uh, there. Khao Yai, of course. Yeah, I've been there a few well. times. Mm -hmm. But I, there was one that I must have mistaken because I thought there was one more wildlife place in uh, Thailand I've been to. In Vietnam, Halong Bay, of course. And then uh, I recently went to the Imperial Citadel of Tong Long in Hanoi, which was pretty cool. I think I've been to both those as well. But you've been to like Hue and Hoi An and that, haven't Correct. you? Correct. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll touch on those. Singapore, Singapore Botanical Gardens. Uh, I imagine because your wife is Singaporean that you have been there. Twice. I just went there just because I've been to Singapore a whole bunch of times. And one time, you know, I kind of like botanical gardens. So I, I was a little surprised to learn that it was a UNESCO hmm. World Heritage Site. But I also do remember that it's like it's large and it's it's impressive and it's run like Singaporean things are like like wonderfully. It was really it was pretty cool, mm. you know. But I was surprised that it was on this list. I was like, huh, but that's cool. Indeed. Um, in Indonesia, yeah, the tropical rainforest heritage of Sumatra. It's three different national parks that are massive, and then uh, the cultural landscape of Bali, um, particularly the Subak system, which is uh, their irrigation of water for rice um, that's integrated into their religious systems. Hmm. Interesting. I think I've maybe been in rice paddies then when I saw that system, but I didn't know that I was looking at it. Sure. Uh, my list, Cambodia, we had all three <laughs> of the same ones. I think in China, the imperial palaces of the Ming and Xing dynasties uh, in Beijing, I was at the mausoleum of the emperor, I believe, the summer palace and the temple of heaven. I've been at 30 then because I didn't get the great See. wall on this one. See, because I, I, I might have hit a couple of those places and I didn't, I don't remember. Probably did. <laughs> you know. In Indonesia, I have two different ones than you. I have Prambanan Temple Compounds, which is yeah, outside of Yogyakarta, as well as Borobudur. And Borobudur is the yeah. picture we use on some of our Talk Travel Asia banners. And it is actually the largest Shit. Hindu or largest Buddhist temple in the world. And I'll talk a bit more about that. Uh, in Japan, uh, ancient Kyoto I've been to, the Hiroshima Peace Memorial, which I'll talk a bit more about, and the historic monuments of ancient Nara, which is about an hour out of uh, Kyoto and is their ancient city, and it's quite attractive. Laos had the same ones as you, Malaysia, same, uh, Myanmar the same, but I have a few in Nepal, the Kathmandu Valley. So the larger valley with uh, the three towns is a site, Chitwan National Park, as well in South Korea, I'm going to butcher this, but the Chengdu Gun Palace Complex. Yeah, I've been there. I think I've Probably been there as well. Probably, yeah. yeah. I've spent several summers there. Oh, okay. Singapore, the gardens as we talked about. In Sri Lanka, I've been to the old town of Gaul and its fortifications. Thailand, we had all the same ones. Vietnam, I've been to the Hue monuments that we talked about a few episodes and the ancient town of Hue. So yeah, that's, that's them. We've covered a lot of ground. And what impresses me about this is we did it without intentionally, you know, trying to take in a bunch of UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So we thought we would probably share three or four of them each and just tell you a bit about those experiences. So why don't you lead us off on this, Trevor? Yeah, okay. This was tricky to pick which ones to talk about because like, uh, I wanted to talk about Sukhothai because it, I think it's such a beautiful place. And, you know, I ended up picking my list for different reasons. And uh, this one, as you mentioned, you've been to Bali, you've seen like the rice fields. You right. Know? Yeah. And I think that that in of itself is almost like enough for UNESCO World Heritage. But I've been to Yunnan as well, where they have terraced rice fields and the terraced rice fields in and of themselves are spectacularly beautiful. Mm -hmm seemingly everywhere, you know? Um, but in Bali, it's part of this 
process that's been going on for a thousand years where they have temples to their gods that collect the water that's used to irrigate their rice fields. And like the goddess of the rice fields is the deity that in Indonesia, you need to be a monotheist. Is that the right word? Like in, in by in, by law in Indonesia, you can only believe in one god. Oh, okay. But the Balinese are Hindu, yeah. So there's one spirit. I'm kind of digressing, I guess, a bit. But the the kind of their religion and the rice fields and the water are all integrated, you know. So mm. the the religious beliefs and their livelihoods and everything are all like incorporated into this subak system. According to UNESCO, it says that the subak is a cooperative social system that controls the water, shapes the landscape of the island for over a thousand years, and is integral to religious life. Hey, it's sort of what I said, hey. Yeah. So uh, again, I just think that when people go there and you, you see these beautiful rice fields, and then you go to these beautiful water temples as well, you know, they have a number of these temples around the island. You might have been to the one up on Lake Batur. Did you go up to the volcanoes? There's a big volcanic lake. I did. Yeah, we rode a motorbike up there and around it. Wow. Yeah. So there's the water temple at Ulun Danu Batur on the edge of the lake. That's like the ultimate origin of all the springs on the island. And oh, okay. It's pretty spectacular. So I think it's just when you see these things that are religious and then you can figure out that it's part of this big process of the life of Bali. I think uh, that's kind of part of the magic of that place. I like that one. And I would have had no idea that, you know, rice growing and water management systems and the beliefs would form one. So I like that that's really a deep cultural one. Okay, Trevor, I'm going to stay in Indonesia and share a place that I went in 2013, shortly after I had moved to Kuala Lumpur. And I found an inexpensive ticket to Yogyakarta or Jogjakarta, depending on how you want to say it. And it is on the island of Java. And I knew of Borobudur Temple Complex. It, it was in a book uh, that Joe Cummings wrote about Buddhist stupas of Asia. And I read up and I realized that it really was only the one of the only major Buddhist monuments in Southeast Asia I hadn't seen. So this dates from the 8th and 9th century. And it's located in central Java again. I think about 45 minutes from Jogjakarta, so you can fly in pretty easily. And it was built in, in three tiers, a pyramidal base with five concentric square terraces and the trunk of a cone with three circular platforms and at the top kind of a big monumental stupa. But what makes it kind of amazing are all these reliefs that are, are carved into the sides of the walls and, and so forth. But then there's also on these platforms, I think it says there's 72 stupas so you'll see these gray kind of concrete stupas all around it which are bloody amazing and then the background there's mountains and it was restored with unesco's help in the 1970s and as i mentioned it's actually the largest buddhist temple in the world and it is like when you first walk up to it it looks big but then as you kind of get to it and you climb up the steps and you stand by all these stupas with the mountains way in the distance that's when it comes really magical and you'll actually see volcano in the distance as well so i'm glad i went way back in 2013 and that was a good trip because there's the prambanan temples which are our hindu ones which are kind of neat around there and there's also a volcano mount merapi which is is worth going to and yogyakarta as a town is is worthwhile so if anyone's thinking of a side trip for a few days that's a good one and borobudur was definitely a real highlight of my travels in in this area yeah that's pretty cool and in indonesia java is the next island over from bali mm -hmm. 
and they're, it's the world's largest Muslim nation, and we picked a Hindu and a Buddhist uh, place, and that just goes to show you how interesting a country Indonesia is. Yeah, and we did two episodes with uh, an author last year, Mark, right? So uh, where are you going next? You know, next, now I'm wondering why I picked it, but I picked Luang Prabang. I think just because Luang Prabang always has had a special place okay. in my heart. And and it's, you know, one of those places I mentioned earlier that maybe is, is under threat a bit from yes. over-tourism. You know, I've spent a lot of time here in Siem Reap and Luang Prabang. And, you know, I always told people that I don't mind if Siem Reap develops and becomes a fun little tourist town because the attraction is the temples. It's not the town, you right. know, whereas Luang Prabang, the town itself is the attraction. Yeah. And, uh it experiences challenges by hosting more and more and more people and, and growing and changing, right? Mm -hmm. It was established in thir 1353. I've been reading a bit about, uh, you know, my history of the region. So and a lot was going on in 1353, but uh, relative to Luang Prabang, that's the year that a Lao prince married a princess of Angkor hmm. and became the capital of the kingdom of a million elephants. Yeah, you told me this story a couple of weeks ago and I was kind of knocked out. <laughs> Yeah, so the Prabang Buddha was a Buddha image that was given by the king of Angkor to his son-in-law to found this city and this kingdom. It was originally uh, Muang Sua, I believe, the name of the town. Uh, but from the 14th to the 16th century, uh, the capital grew in wealth and influence thanks to its strategic location on the Silk Route. It was also a center of Buddhism in the region and remains a particularly beautiful place. At least I, you know, I haven't been there in 10 years, so I imagine it's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, according to UNESCO, they chose it because of both its rich architectural and artistic heritage that reflects the fusion of Lao traditional urban architecture mm -hmm. with that of the colonial era. So this is according oh. to UNESCO. Again, we got the link to the website on our show notes. You know, UNESCO here, it says it's it's remarkably well-preserved. Like they did a good job and, and UNESCO does protect that town so that like when somebody wants to build a cafe in an old French colonial building or some structure that's been there for, God, I think everything. I don't think you can do any changes to any building there anymore without UNESCO approval. Um, so I hope that they've done a, a good job managing it. Yeah, I hope so too. And this is an example where perhaps because the old town on that peninsula is a UNESCO World Heritage Site that people won't be able to tear down a building and build a concrete one. And it is a magical place, but I'm with you on the fact that it's very close to being ruined just by the numbers of people. But it is a very special place. And I think pretty cool that you picked it. I'm picking one in Japan, the Hiroshima Peace Memorial. And I went here probably 15 years ago with Greg from the Bangkok podcast. And, you know, we just got the ticket because it was this cheap flight from Bangkok Airways to Hiroshima. So we thought, we'd that, go, yeah. Yeah, we thought we'd go other areas. And it's really made a long-term impression on me. And the Peace Memorial is this kind of dome building, right? And there's a, a shell of the structure left. It was the only structure left standing, in fact, in the area after that first atomic bomb exploded on the 6th of August, 1945. So through many people's efforts and those in the city particularly, it's been preserved and left in the same state as it was immediately after the bombing. So it, it again, the shell of this building. So it, it kind of serves a bit of a bit of a, a dark punch in the gut reminder to what happened, but also the kind of destructive force that humankind has unleashed, right? And they've left it there, they say, in in a hope for world peace and the ultimate elimination of all nuclear weapons. So 
not just that actual site, but the larger Hiroshima area. They have some other peace monuments about. And as you walk through that larger area, there's just all these monuments and calls to thinking about that time. And the museum about the atomic bomb is is really numbing and, and harrowing and something that everyone should absolutely have to see. So for me, it's not just the that World Heritage Site, but all the other monuments around there. And if you're ever in Japan and you can, you know, even take a bullet train for a few hours and get there, I think it's one that's really worth seeing. Yeah, and 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 it's sort of weird to go to a place for kind of that reason. I mean, I I would just go on an Air Asia flight to anywhere in Japan if, if you know it was right. a new route and I could get that cheap fare. But again, like it, that's is sort of the attraction of Hiroshima is that it was this site of this tragic incident, you know, mm-hmm. and that something kind of good can come of it, and that uh, you know the area is an interesting to visit in and of itself. Then it uh, then some good sort of came of it. I'm a silver linings guy. So sure. uh, yeah, nice. I'm glad you picked that. Thanks. You know, from for mine, uh, I sort of did the same thing that you did. Like the the U- UN World Heritage Site is particular. It is in Vietnam and it's the okay. central sector of the Imperial Citadel hmm. of Tong Long. Have you been to the Citadel in Hanoi? I'm pretty sure I have, but I can't off the top of my head remember what it looks like. Okay, well, one part of it is that, and, and this isn't on the UNESCO World Heritage information because it's not part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site, but it was the, uh, during the Vietnam War, during the Vietnam War, the Imperial Citadel was used as the administrative capital and headquarters of the North Vietnamese Ministry of Defense and Army. Oh, okay. So when you're at the, cit- when you're at the Citadel, you might have remembered that. They still have like the war room right. with all the maps from all the, ba- did you see that? Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I do. Okay, so yeah, so the UN gave the World Heritage Site to the central sector of that. But what's interesting is that, like, that only begins in the 11th century, okay? So according to UNESCO, the Tang Long Imperial Citadel was built in the 11th century, marking the independence of the Dai Viet. So Vietnam became like an independent country, and Hanoi has been there for a 1,000 years. They recently celebrated their 1,000-year anniversary. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And the, the citadel was built there, but apparently, like, it goes back to, like, the 5th century. It was this Chinese fortress and stuff. So there's, like, history from before then, and the Champa, you know, like, the Cham before the Vietnamese got there. It, it has a, a long history. The first Vietnamese enclosure, according to Wikipedia now, was built in 1010, and it was subsequently expanded by subsequent dynasties. And uh, so the Citadel here from 1010 until 1810. So for 700 wow. years, that was where the, the ruler of Vietnam ruled from. So when you go in, like, I just remember, like, I'm reading these signs and stuff. And, and that's just one of the things that was going on in there. Like, it also, uh, in the, the 1940s, the Citadel was used by the Imperial Japanese Army to imprison over 4,000 French colonial soldiers. Wow captured during the Japanese coup of French Indochina in 1945. That's another just of one, like there's so many interesting facets of this place. So there's even like archeological dig sites where they're still actively like digging up stuff from, from thousands of years ago. Right. Uh, It's really fascinating. This is the one I've been to most recently. I don't even remember when it was or how I had enough free time that it was just, it was me and like one other person. And we're like, Hey, let's just go check this out. And we went just right before COVID sometime. That's neat. And when I get back there, I'll have to have a look again. But looking at the photos of it, then the one they built in Hue looks just like it. Like they must have modeled it after it because, you know, we did an episode recently about my visit to Hoi An and Hue and the the Imperial Citadel there looks just like it. So that's where it moved. Yeah. In 1810. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad you called that one out because I, I have been, but it's it's foggy now. I'm going to go to the Mountain Kingdom of Nepal. And I was pretty pleased to see that the larger Kathmandu Valley is listed here. And I think in some ways, like in Japan, specific buildings are on the list, whereas in this case, they've lumped them all together as the Kathmandu Valley. So they're really bringing together the larger cultural heritage of, of three cities here. So really, in the Kathmandu Valley, you have Bhaktapur, which is the oldest capital, Patan, which was another capital, and of course, Kathmandu. So all three of those were their own cities. Nowadays, the sprawl has increased that it just sort of seems like one. But they're, they're bringing together apparently seven groups of monuments and buildings that display the full range of historic and artistic achievements for which the Kathmandu and its artisans are famous. And these include the Durbar Square. So a Durbar Square is a royal square, and they call it a Hanumandoka, which is in Kathmandu. And then the Durbar Square is in Patan and Bhaktapur, along with the Buddhist stupas of uh, Swayambhu Nat and uh, Buddha Nat. These and the Hindu temples of Pashupatinat and uh, Changu Naran. So the one Hindu temple of Pashupatinat is where they cremate a lot of the bodies, as well as the other one. But Pashupatinat is you'll see all kinds of bodies being cremated. And then Swayambunat is a uh, famous called the monkey temple. It's up on a small mountain. And then Budanat is a, a big white stupa. And it served as like the point when people say we're walking from Tibet or India and they like, let's meet in Kathmandu. You would walk to that stupa. And I don't, I think it's like 2000 years old or something crazy. So to think that the supa served as like the marker, like that's where you're going um, before the Himalayas is neat. But I'll see out of all my travels, Nepal is in the top three countries and the larger Kathmandu Valley is a, a really super fascinating place. And you just turn a corner and it's like stepping back hundreds of years in time. So any of our listeners who love travel in different cultural places, like make the Kathmandu Valley one of your must-goes. Yeah, you convinced me. Mm. That sounds awesome. Hey, you know, I think I'm going to have to call it and say that this is just going to have to be part one of uh, <laughs> two episodes that we're going to have to, we're going to have to come back. To I got this, you. Uh, I'm with another you. time perhaps. So maybe why don't we just, uh, I'll mention one more. You mention one more. We'll kind of mention a few things that uh, okay. were on maybe our bucket list. Yep. Uh, we don't have to go into too deep details and then we'll save it. We'll come back to this in six months. Yeah, yeah? this is a good one. Okay. Myanmar Bagan was my, my next one. Oh yeah. Bagan was the maybe the first the barrier reef again that doesn't count so Bagan might have been the first UNESCO site oh Ayutthaya and Kauai anyway yeah when I went to Bagan it was like 2002 or three okay and that was still when you were like not supposed to go to Myanmar um, right. because Aung San Suu Kyi was under house arrest and you know all that and uh, it was an amazing experience it kind of changed a lot of perceptions about a lot of things for me and, and, and Myanmar in general, but Bagan, when we got there and, and 2002, we were, I think the, we didn't see any other tourists for sure. I don't know that we were for sure the only tourists there, but we didn't see any the entire time we were anywhere. You are OG beyond Yangon. Yeah. And it was spectacular. I mean, I just didn't know what to expect. I think I might've been to Angkor already. Okay. Yeah. But like, and back then you were allowed to climb on the temples. Okay. You know, at, at Angkor Wat is also, but at Bagan, like, you know, that's what guides would do. They would lead you up to like watch a sunset on top of one of these temples, right. you know, and there's temples in like every direction as far as you can see. It's like this high desert and like, it's just centuries. I don't, I don't remember how long 11th to 13th centuries was the peak of Bagan. So mm -hmm. at least 200 years, but longer than that. And 
it's they're amazing like it's so hot and the, like the time we were there was so hot but then these temples have these huge rooms inside of them with these beautiful buddhas and like it's cool and quiet and calm inside these things and it was just it was magical like it was a really really cool place you know again i i sort of wish i might have known some of this stuff i was saying the seven component again this is according to unesco the seven components of the serial property include numerous temples, stupas, monasteries, and places of pilgrimage, as well as archeological remains, frescoes, and sculptures. The property bears spectacular testimony to the peak of Bagan civilization. When the site was the capital of a regional empire, this ensemble of monumental architecture reflects the strength of religious devotion of an early Buddhist empire. It is bloody incredible. I went there once and like you said, there's probably eight to 10 large monuments, like really large ones, and then literally thousands of little stupas all across the desert. I actually proposed to my wife in Bagan on at the edge of a little stupa oh, wow. at sundown. Yeah. And it is truly incredible, stunning, must, must, must see place in Southeast Asia. So I think that's a great final pick. And, you know, maybe we should go into deeper stories on a part two, like you said, but it's great. My last one here is going to be the old town of Gaul and its fortifications. So down in the southwest corner of Gaul in Sri Lanka, you have a, a kind of walled city fort. So founded in the 16th century by the Portuguese, Gaul was really this kind of trading port and this military port, and it reached its height of development in the 18th century before the arrival of the British. And I believe the Dutch also controlled it at a time. So you had the Portuguese at a time, the British at a time, and the Dutch at a time. And it's a just a, an incredible classic example of a fortified military city built by Europeans in, in South and Southeast Asia, right? And it really served as this huge trading post, military outpost at times. Inside, there's all these colonial-style um, buildings. There's, there's cool hotels. There's cool restaurants. They really haven't let anything develop too much. You can walk atop the fortifying wall. Um, there was a, I believe, like a, a naval-type museum. And... Inside was a clay, a couple of clay pots from Si Sanchanlai, which is south of Chiang Mai by 100 or 200 kilometers. Yeah. And I wrote a section of a, a timeout guidebook on Si Sanchanlai, you know, like 18 years ago. And I found it incredible yeah. to be in nice. the museum and see that pot. And I was like, wow, you think of the, the networks back then, like that thing moved by land hundreds of kilometers. It got to see it, got in a boat. And then somehow it ended up in Gaul. So Sri Lanka was great, but Gaul to me is definitely a place to spend two to three nights. So, man, this was a real trip down some memory lane, and I think we will come back for a, a part two. But but sort of quickly, what are a few places that you saw in this heritage site list that you'd maybe like to get to in the next, I don't know, however many years, but get to at some point? Uh, I, I Honestly, I didn't. Uh, I picked one, and I didn't even get to look at it. I, I was more interested in the map. Like, <laughs> there's a World Heritage Site map right here. And I'll do a screenshot of this as well. And I'll put a link to the page where you can see the okay. Asia Pacific map. Again, there's like 278 places or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I'd be interested in seeing some in India. Like, I've never been to India before. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of these like old religious structures. And that's something that that interests me. And of course, India is going to have probably some of the most amazing or the most amazing such, you know, the Taj Mahal's on the list, but I'd rather see like, I know there's like some cave in India, that's like, perfectly round, like it's it's impossible for them. It's so smooth and round. 
and all like there, there's this cool stuff there that I know is in India that I'm going to go check out someday. But maybe when we do this episode, I will have done my research and I'll tell you two or three spots in India that I'd like to visit. Yeah, super fun to look through this list. So I encourage listeners to click on them. I'm just going to quickly mention three and I won't go into the deep history. But, you know, we've we've talked about Central Asian countries, particularly in 2022. And three jumped out like Uzbekistan, the historic center of Bukhara. So this was situated along the Silk Road, Silk Route rather. It's more than 2000 years old. And then Turkmenistan, you know, the the historic and cultural park, ancient city of Merv, which has been inhabited for more than 4,000 years again on the Silk Route. Then another one was Tajik National Park and the mountains of the Pamir Mountains, Um, 2.5 million hectares in the east of the country, 7,000 meter peaks, you know. Central Asia is just really high on my list. And, and maybe we'll talk in, in greater detail about some of those. But those are three that really sort of jump out is getting out to uh, Central Asia. So, gosh, this was a lot of fun to talk through these. And it was fun to think about all these neat places we've been. I'm trying to think of the one that you said that I'm, I'm most envious of or would really like to go to. I mean, I would like to cover more Sumatra at some point. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And again, it was three national parks. You know, I've been to like the Bukit Luang area and I went down to Lake Toba. Mm. So I'm not sure I was for sure in one of those forests, but like, uh, I don't know. It's so beautiful. Like we, I, I, Sumatra was so spectacular. And again, looking at this map, there's like just dots kind of everywhere. So, you know, there's definitely some cool sites. So I recommend people try to visit one uh, when they, when they, you know, if you're planning to go visit a country, just have a peek and see if there are any UNESCO World Heritage Sites, because, uh, you know, what they're doing is trying to protect it for you to visit so that it's still amazing like it was when they originally designated it. Yeah, absolutely. This is just one more area to look and potentially add to your travel list. If you like the show, if you've enjoyed it, help us keep it going. Become a patron. Click donate on the show page or go to Patreon and search for the show name. Be like Phaedra, who for years has been a patron. And in addition to helping us keep it going and feeling good about that, she gets special bonus conversations, photo galleries, or videos like My Cycle Up Kauai in the UNESCO World Heritage Site that that park is. So become a patron. Help us keep it going. Thanks for listening, everyone. I think you can expect a part two, maybe even a three on this at some point. Trevor, take us home. Yeah, I just put, uh, I temporarily slated part two in for June 1st of next year. That's episode 197. Nice. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Kemper?